back to the Legal Digest podcast with your host, Natalie. Today, I'm joined by Paula McMullen, the career coach for lawyers and the founder of the Lawyers Career Mastermind. She has more than 20 years experience helping some of the most reputable global law firms to support their fee earners to thrive in the high performance culture of city law. As a lawyer herself, she understands the stresses and pressures faced by legal professionals today and now offers practical career coaching and mentoring to lawyers who feel their career is at a crossroads. Hi, Paula. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Natalie. It's great to be speaking with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, great to have you. Um, I want to talk about burnout in the legal profession, and I believe it's one of the reasons why junior lawyers are rethinking their career in the law. And I also think that employees have had a shift in um, what they want out of their careers and searching for job satisfaction, perhaps more work-life balance. So can we start with maybe talking about what is burnout and what causes it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I see this a lot. And uh, I'll be very honest and open with you up front. I've suffered from burnout myself. And it, uh, it it's quite insidious. So it's great that you're talking about this today. I had a look to see what the definition of burnout is, just to, just to make sure that what I'm saying is, is correct. And in fact, the World Health Organization has classified burnout as a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress that's not been successfully managed. And what's interesting is that it's classified as an occupational phenomenon. It's not actually a medical condition. Stress is, but, but burnout isn't. So it's just this, so in fact, it's a term to represent what is happening to people at the moment when they're in very highly pressured uh, roles and they don't they either don't have the support or they don't have the mindset they don't have the internal resources to to manage the the situation they find themselves in and it's so burnout is characterized by three different things going on you might be feeling really low energy or or exhausted quite frankly you know and that can be mental exhaustion and it can be physical exhaustion you may also be feeling um that you're distanced from your job and and this is what i'm hearing a lot i mean you mentioned it natalie but this is what i'm hearing a lot from not just junior lawyers quite frankly a lot of more senior lawyers are just thinking you know i don't know why i came into this profession it's just not what i thought it was going to be so that distance from from your job and feeling very negative or cynical you know things will never change this is just it's just the way it is this is what law firms are all about this is what the partners expect us to do so that real sense of um from of distance from any kind of control Mm -hmm. and that in turn then leads to us being less productive less efficient less effective and that that is a vicious cycle then that feeds into all of the uh the negative feelings that we may have and you know, sadly, when you're in a law firm where everyone is, at least on the face of it, all operating at the same high level of, of productivity, there's the additional stress that we heap on ourselves to believe that somehow we're lagging behind. And and I've been talking a lot about law firms, but I do work a lot with in-house lawyers. And I know that because... Um, a lot of in-house lawyers come from private practice and so they kind of bring this this mentality into the in-house environment as well that we you know we, we have this belief that maybe we're lagging behind other people everyone else is okay it's just me that's not coping and sooner or later I'm going to get found out you know that horrible <laughs> imposter monster that jumps up and down for a lot of us 
So, so that's, you know, that's what burnout is and, and where it comes from in, in my experience. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's difficult to identify if you are feeling burnt out. So you mentioned about the feeling really tired, but are there any other signs of burnout and what can we do to prevent it? Oh, yeah, for sure. And and as I say, I experienced it myself uh, where I was under huge pressure. I had to deliver. I was in a role that hadn't been that, that I was in a new role, a newly created role. So it wasn't absolutely clear what I was there to deliver. And my tried and trusted way of co coping with that was just to get my head down, work, 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 work. I can do this. Everything will be all right if I just focus. And one day I was late for the train and I ran up the steps of the station. The train was just leaving and that was it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I burst into tears and I had to sit down on the stage. I was on the station for about an hour before I could get up, go home and call in sick. And I hadn't appreciated just how much I was pushing myself and how I was just, um, you know, it's 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 an analogy of 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 taking taking money out of your bank. You know, I was so overdrawn from my energy. So you're absolutely right. It can it can sneak up on you. If I'd realized at the time, then I would have paid more attention to my mental fuzziness my my inability to make decisions because my brain was just so tired and when we're stressed our ability to think creatively and think laterally just shuts down and the fight or flight or freeze takes over you may have heard of that um and it prevents us from thinking it prevents us from options thinking yeah. so we we end up with this black and white it's either this or it's that mm -hmm. and so I was in a role where I was having to think creatively and, and produce strategy and I just couldn't do it I eat rubbish when I'm under pressure and I'm stressed and if you've been working 80 hour weeks and all your weekends it's very easy to comfort eat mm -hmm. uh, because you want some pleasure and actually cramming a bar of chocolate in your mouth sideways <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for some people it creates that pressure but of course then there's the impact of of not putting the nutrients into your body that it needs to 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 perform not exercising that's the next thing that tends to drop off the radar and I've spoken to a couple of lawyers quite recently who have also been really upset that with exercise being such an important part of their life, they feel like they're letting themselves down. So it's not just, there's not just the pressure from their job, but they're putting themselves under pressure, making themselves feel bad because they're not exercising. Um, I mentioned about not being able to do the strategic thinking, so not being able to prioritize. And we may have a to-do list, an, an ever-ending never to-do list, but it comes, becomes more and more difficult to prioritise what's important. And we just do the thing for the person that's screaming the loudest. And feeling we have no choice. This is huge. Feeling that this situation and the way that we feel is outside our control. And not having that choice leads us to then feel trapped and even if it's just at an unconscious level, there'll come a point, you know, there'll come a Paula missing her train point for somebody where it's just like, no, I can't do this anymore. And I think what's very insidious in in high performance environments, whether that's in law firms or in, in corporates, is that 
these stresses and the demands that are placed on people are normalized. It's like, this is the way it is. And if you can't perform to those levels, it's your fault. It's your problem. There's something lacking in you. And I hear a lot of lawyers saying, well, you know, if if they if they're doing it, everyone else, I look around and I see everyone else and they're fine. And if they could do it, why can't I do it? And so it's easy to start blaming ourselves for the way we're feeling when in fact it's an it's an external pressure that is creating this environment where we just can't function properly. Yeah. And it's interesting because it technically I think it should be a medical condition because we I think in the legal profession we talk about burnout we should how we should prevent it but maybe we don't take it as seriously as we should and if you someone once used with me the comparison with um pilots how they have to have regular check-ins every month because if they're burnt out or they're tired they can't fly the plane because it risks people's lives but I guess it's the risk isn't so you know serious with lawyers but it could cost someone a lot of money if we made a mistake so absolutely why is that not factored in um and I think it's it's just so important to make sure that we feel like we have enough energy and that we we're ready to do a task and that, as you said we can think strategically and give the right advice so yeah absolutely yeah it's the it's the stress factor that's the medical condition and what turns um stress into burnout is the fact that it goes on for a long time that it's open-ended that we are you know everybody can um we are wired biologically to 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 perform at a high level for short spaces of time because we basically our brains basically are no different from when we were running around and and uh running away from saber-toothed tigers right (laughs) Uh, running away from physical threats our brains have not changed but the nature of the threat has changed and at least when you run away from danger you have all of these stress hormones going around your body and you dissipate them through the exercise whereas when we're sitting at a desk and we're on a negotiation and we're we have these heightened stress responses there's no way to dissipate those hormones that are buzzing around our body and they stay elevated and when that goes on for a for a length of time that's what that's what's causing the burnout so i think um because burnout has become this term that people think and they think they know what they what it means so with burnout it's become this term that people are using without thinking too much about what it is yeah. and the link between managing stress and this long-term impact seems either not to be addressed or it's been lost somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. and I was looking at a report that Lawcare did. So they did a they did some research, and the studies called Life in the Law, and they were looking at reasons why people are leaving and the problems that people are reporting that they're experiencing within the workplace. So. The findings were that legal professionals between the ages of 26 and 35, females, those from ethnic minorities and those with a disability are at high risk of burnout. They also displayed the highest the highest burnout scores and reported the lowest autonomy, lowest psychological safety and highest work intensity. So, I mean, this is quite, um, this is quite a big piece of research and it tells us a lot about what's going on in the workplace and the law, but in your experience and from what you've observed, why do you think these groups and perhaps particularly women um, experience um, burnout more than, than others? 
Yeah, it's a massive question, isn't it? And it's something which um, a lot of us are, are are struggling to to find that silver bullet that's going to change this around. I think thinking about the people that I work with, yes, there is a higher proportion of um, disengagement, I suppose, and feeling that they don't belong when I'm speaking to female lawyers. But maybe that's because they've recognised that they don't feel that they that they're not coping, that they feel dissatisfied yeah. with their career, that they they can't get the work life balance that they're looking for. So they come to me. So it, it's you know, I, I suspect that the population of people who talk to me are, are skewed towards those who are struggling. But when I when I sort of look at this, um, if I take a step back and look at what's going on here, there are certain core human needs that every single one of us, whether we're, you know, whatever, whatever gender we may be, whatever um, ethnicity or culture we come from, there are these basic needs to be safe. It's the, the main driver. It's what our brain is wired to do to survive, to belong to feel like we have a tribe, to feel like we have a, a cohort of people who, who get us and understand us, because we also need to be heard. We need to feel that we are visible, that people see us, and then that we are valued. So they see us, but also they, they, they appreciate us and respect us for what we contribute. And then finally, we have a need to grow and to, 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 to be able to step into our best self. So if we look at those, we can see that if we are in an environment where historically there has been a much higher proportion of a particular, um, I was going to say type of person, it's not that, but a particular um, flavour of person, I can't think of it. <laughs> Um, but where there, there is a high proportion of male representation, mm -hmm. there's a very high proportion of white representation, because historically that is the way that the profession has been structured. Then if we come in as women, if, if we come in and we look above and we see that actually there aren't that many people who look like us, then it can be easy to imagine that we don't have a place. Yeah. But we want that place. We deserve that place. We we have we have invested hugely in our legal training. So why would I not be moving up the up the line? But when we look at the behaviors of the people who have got there, they are behaviors that don't sit well with us. Yeah. So if we go back to this idea that our core need is to feel safe, then yeah. it's. I, I, I hear a lot of lawyers telling me that they behave in the way that they think they should behave when they look at other people and how those people have got, yeah. got success. So um, that could be uh, being very task focused mm -hmm. and just getting things done when actually they also want to consider the team and they like harmony and they like collaboration. So they're having to work to or that they're, they're sort of copying the behavior of somebody and it just doesn't feel like them yeah. but they're doing it because they want to feel safe they want to belong they want to be accepted they want to be valued etc etc so the very fact that they're having to work against what they would naturally do causes stress there's a fascinating book and it's quite old now i think it's probably about 12 uh, 20 years old now called why 
men don't listen and women can't read maps i don't <laughs> okay. know if you've ever heard of it but it's by, it's by a, a couple of scientists and they're a married couple barbara and alan pease p-e-a-s-e and i love this book because all of the stories they tell about the differences across the genders is all backed up by scientific research it's not just oh have you noticed how women always do this and have you noticed yeah. how men always it's not that um and i love it because it does help to explain these differences between these these populations um and equally you know if we are not if we are not from the predominant cultural group if we're not white if we're not you know if we have a um if we have a cultural difference with that main set of people who are in that position of power, then it again, it's easy not to feel that we're part of that. It's easy to feel that we don't have a place or we are trying to fit in and it's just costing us so much energy wise. Yeah. Um, and I think also you asked me why you think these these groups are at a higher risk. I think yeah. also there there's a lot of groupthink. Mm -hmm. um you know when people all get together then they tend to parrot the norm um mm -hmm. and so if you have partners who are working all the hours god sends and they're um they're not able to make important anniversaries and important social occasions then the people coming up behind think oh that's the thing i need to do to be successful so there's a lot of group think and even today, women are are shouldering mm -hmm. the burden of caring responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And it's not just childcare, but now caring for for um, relatives, caring, caring for elderly relatives, caring for relatives who can't look after themselves. Um, we tend to focus on childcare, which is, of course, absolutely essential that we address that. Um, and we mustn't forget that there are other caring responsibilities and these do fall to women predominantly. Um, fortunately, I think that is shifting a little bit, but we've got so far to go. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of um, assumptions made about what it takes to be successful. And some people just say, well, I can never be that. And then I'm going to go off and do something else. The third thought I have is that many organizations have admirable DEI strategies mm -hmm. and yet they're not really having the impact that they were set up to have yeah. and 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 I've I've you know I, I've talked to partners who either are unaware of the strategies within their firm or they just don't pay it any mind and they'll say oh that's the that's DNI as if it's nothing to do with them yeah. and so it doesn't seem to matter what kind of strategies are carried out at firm level the way that law firms are set up means that even now many many partners are just sharing an office with other partners yeah. and don't they either don't buy into it or they don't quite see the connection with what they're doing and how they're behaving yeah. <laughs> because it's very difficult to give partners feedback on their behavior and so it just carries on and nobody you know nothing ever changes so I think that disconnect where young people come into the profession they see that they might go to an organization that has this record on DNI, and it doesn't play out when they actually get into the workplace yeah I think yeah it's a bit of a tick tick box exercise at the moment but I I have been working with some companies where they do really actively promote it 
So there's some good work going on in the background. But as you said, there's still a long way to go. And I can imagine sharing the office space must have been a bit of a culture shock initially for some people. It, was, it might have been quite hard. If you come from a place where you've had your own office and you've kind of worked up to having your own office space, because I think that might have been a thing one day. And now it's it's less hierarchical, maybe, can I say? I, don't, I know in-house it is. I don't know about private practice. I think, uh, unfortunately, I think because there are still so many gateways to go through in order to make partnership, it is still hierarchical. But I think it depends on the law firm. So when you, for example, a lot of the US firms, and especially the the ones that are coming into the market, they are lean and mean. And so you Mm -hmm. will have an associate working with a partner, whereas traditionally, the model was that you had the partner, you have the senior associate, the associate, the junior, the trainee. And I don't think that that pyramid is uh operates quite in the way that it used to because pressure on fees the fact that there is actually a there is a skills gap and amongst mid-level lawyers as well so uh, some of this burnout comes from either senior lawyers senior associates doing the work of juniors because there isn't anybody to delegate to or junior lawyers being um plunged into the deep end without adequate supervision so there, there's a structural problem as well I think um in in-house uh interesting I've just um I've been coaching somebody who's quite a senior lawyer but has moved in-house and uh he's he's sort of into the, his first month um and the the surprise for him was everything moves really fast you have to be able to make a decision but actually there isn't the junior resource that you would have in a law firm because yeah. the because law um legal teams in house are more often than not seen as a cost center so you know so so that that's that's a different way of doing business but nonetheless still can create stress yeah definitely so um why do you think we need to overturn the culture of burnout in the legal profession? Oh, I suppose the simple answer is because life's too short. You know, why are we <laughs> yeah. doing this to ourselves? Um, you, you touched on it earlier when you said, yeah. if we are fielding stressed out, burnt out lawyers, then what is the quality of the advice they're giving? Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, that's the thing, isn't it? Now, it's, um, and, I, and I think about the in-house lawyers that do outsource their legal work and what they're willing to pay for and what they're not willing to pay for and either they end up uh paying for uh, paying paying for lawyers who are not producing work effectively and efficiently but probably what happens more often is that they then contest the 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 bill mm-hmm. and it all gets written off that then impacts on the that the lawyer who's been written off it impacts on their on their billable hours for the end of the year so they may have slogged their guts out and it's just you know wiped out um so I think we need to we need to tackle this from the profession's reputate from a reputational perspective but of course that's way too grandiose for individual (laughs) companies and law firms to kind of buy into and take seriously because they they don't see the impact on on them measurably and specifically um I have been speaking with partners at a at a, a firm recently who who appreciate because they're not they're sort of top twenty, mm-hmm. and 
they have fantastic work and they have fantastic clients, but they are either losing people to US firms for big bucks or they're losing people who are going in-house or they are actually going to maybe top 50 firms because they they, they are willing to take a pay drop to get that flexible right. working. And so what this this firm is is realizing is if they're going to if they're going to continue to be efficient and have that that mid-level bank of lawyers, they've got to sort out the the work-life balance issue, the flexibility mm-hmm. issue in order for there to be a reason for them to stay. They, yeah. They're not paying. The firm is not paying the headline rates that I mean who can afford to pay those headline mm-hmm. rates it's, it's getting ridiculous it's yeah. it's a bit of a sassy bubble i think but anyway um so yeah so these top 20 firms they they want the really able lawyers and they want to keep people in their pipeline up to senior associate and beyond and they've got to find a way to differentiate themselves and i think this firm is is you know i've 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 spoken to some of the associates and it has been very very busy there but generally speaking there does seem to be a bit of a a shift in the way this firm is 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 operating yeah um and that is that is and 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 people are noticing and saying yeah this Mm -hmm. is different this is different Mm -hmm. so i think from the from the organization's perspective retaining talent is key because Mm -hmm. whether you're in-house or whether you're in a law firm um the the, the people in your organization are your asset yeah. and if you if you are you know when you have assets you want to maintain their value in fact you want to grow their value so it, it, it's pretty key and pretty fundamental business reason to offer people more work-life balance more flexibility uh, so that they can give of themselves they can be more effective professionals for you yeah and we've now got Gen Z entering the workforce and even millennials are, are they're both, both those groups are quite vocal about what they want, I think, compared mm. with before. So I think work-life balance, flexibility is a big thing. And it's, I, I think even from my perspective, it's key to me wanting to stay in a job is how flexible you're going to be around ways yeah. of working. So I feel like this is really differentiating the places that people want to work and the ones that they don't want to work in. Yeah, absolutely. I think the what I see as the barrier is there's the assumption on both on on both sides. So you've got the people coming into the profession who are allegedly saying, I want flexibility. And if I don't get flexibility, I'm not going to work for you. And then you've got the assumption on the other side that these are big, old, crusty, um, you know, gens gen x run boomer run organizations Mm. they just don't get it yeah and this is a barrier this is a real barrier to communication because in reality business runs in a particular way Mm -hmm. and particularly if you have external deadlines so if you're an m&a lawyer and you have to list something by a particular date you have to list it by that date if that means that you have to give up your theater tickets or you don't go to a friend's birthday party. Um, it's it's kind of, okay, do you want to be doing this kind of work or don't you? Because that is the requirement from the listing authority that this is what we have to do. So there are certain, there are certain things in business where the way that business is, is set up means that we have to dedicate ourselves sometimes and we do have to work hard. 
and I think when people come into the profession, what I notice is that because they don't yet, they haven't yet seen how it works in practice. They haven't yet um, worked out how to operate within within the confines of the of their chosen career and also have conversations with their managers and their partners on how they can behave differently. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'm being clear here. What I'm trying to say is that if you want flexibility in your role, the easiest way to get it is to work out how you can still be delivering the product, the work product that you're being paid to deliver mm -hmm. in a way that is efficient and effective so that the partner or your manager is going to say, oh, yeah, of course. OK, mm -hmm. so you're being assessed on your output mm -hmm. and not on the time you're spending in the office. And I yeah. think this is key. But because certainly in private practice, I know it's not the same in, in, in house, but in private practice, people are measured by their bill of hours and that's it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, of course, it's um, it's good that people are churning out 2,500 hours a year. Brilliant. But if the, those 2,500 hours a year are inefficient, then there's no real yeah. driver to change that model. Um, so, so I do think that people coming into the profession where I see a skills gap is in persuasive communication rather than saying this is what I want being able to say if you allow me to be flexible then this is the value that I'm going to give you back mm. and I think that's that's the change that I would recommend anybody who is at the junior end of their career to really focus on how they're communicating how their organization can get the best out of them and if that is by giving them flexibility giving them autonomy and uh not clock watching and micromanaging them then what is it that you as a junior lawyer can be doing to show to your manager that they can trust you that you will get the work done and that they don't have to micromanage you yeah. and you don't have to be in the office and if you choose to do your work at 10 o'clock at night, so long as you you meet the deadline, it doesn't matter when you do it. Yeah. But this is that's quite a sea change because the people who are in more senior positions have had that clock watching, got a you know, jacket over the back of the chair kind of um, mindset. So it's for them also to realize there is another way. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where the conversation is is not coming together at the moment. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, so if you get to the stage where you feel, I don't want to do this anymore, you want to change your career, but lawyers, as you said before, they spend so much time in their training and they gain expertise in the field. How do you move on to a new career path if you feel that sense of, I don't know, guilt from moving on and you don't really know yeah. what to do? Yeah. And, and, and it's so interesting because this is what a lot of people come to me. Oh, I don't want to be alone anymore. I can't cope with it anymore. And that's because they're in this stressed state. And as I mentioned before, our brains go digital. It's one thing or it's the other thing. There's no option. So it's either I carry on and I collapse in a heap and hate my life and hate everybody. And it's all terrible. Yeah. Or I leave. I have no choice. There's nothing. There's no shades of grey in between. So what I what I didn't talk about earlier, which I think might be helpful, is just to talk through some of the steps that 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 we can take to 
I was gonna say minimize the effect of burnout, but actually take a, take back that control, allow, allow ourselves to kind of calm down, to be more objective in the way that we're thinking. Um, and the first thing, which as you said at the beginning, it sneaks up on you, you don't realize, but the first thing is to build into our week, a little check-in with ourselves, you know, how am I, how am I feeling? What are my stress levels like? What's my mindset? What am I believing at the moment? And if I'm starting to think, oh God, this is awful, this is terrible, this is, um, I have no choice, I can't, I can't breathe, then recognize that this is a symptom of your environment and of your reaction to it. So this is all happening and the way you're feeling is your reaction to that environment. So Sometimes it can be quite helpful to kind of step out of yourself and see yourself as a fly on the wall. You know, what's going on with Paula here? What, what What's happening here? So he said, he said, um, I want this to be, you know, you need to do this better next time. And Paula has reacted by thinking, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. But actually, is it? Does, is that the right kind of reaction? So, so starting to build a bit of distance between how you're feeling and what's actually going on is the first step. The second is to take ownership. So, um don't allow your your mind to keep you vague because your mind just wants you to survive and so make sure that you're getting specific feedback don't allow oh that wasn't very good or oh you missed the deadline or you missed this entire part out here or your drafting is a bit unclear don't allow yourself to to get stressed by that kind of vague feedback be specific so that your brain, your mind can't run around like a crazy thing thinking, oh, he doesn't like me. Oh, he doesn't think I'm a good lawyer, which is what tends to happen. Yeah. The third thing is make space for yourself. So whether that's physical and I mean, I know a lot of people are now getting back into the office, but even if you are in the office, notice that a lot of your feeling will be anchored to where you're doing your work so if you're in the office get up walk around the block jump run up and down some stairs go and get a coffee look out of the window remember you're part of something bigger that can have a calming effect on our mindset and and remember to do the same at home um and also recognize how to create space phys um physiologically so uh understand how to do calming breaths because that is a very good way of calming down because it taps into our um, parasympathetic nervous system which calms us down by doing deep breathing number four make it easy for yourself to have those those dates with yourself so if it's that you want to exercise don't say to yourself oh, i've got to continue i've been doing my marathon prep and i've got to do a five mile run this evening and you let yourself down because you haven't got the time to do it so say to yourself i am going to walk around for 10 minutes i'm going to run up and down the stairs for 20 minutes if you've got a a, a fitbit watch or an apple watch or something i'm going to re elevate my heart rate for 10 minutes so make it easy to do so that you don't feel disappointed and um with the eating i know if i've got anything bad in the cupboards i will just eat it so i've got to the point now where i don't have anything bad in the cupboards and there are times where i go where is it where is it there must be something <laughs> in the freezer <laughs> and there isn't and then i think oh have i got time to go to the because i live three miles away from the shop have i got time to jump in the car and go to the village no bam 
oh I must remember to get some I must remember to get some chocolate no you're not doing that though are you so so make it easy for yourself to make these good choices and then really importantly because we've said the burnout happens when stress goes on over time create boundaries for yourself this is absolutely key. So create boundaries. What will you accept and what won't you accept? How long are you willing to, for this high, this busyness to go on for? And I used to be able to say, well, I know that I've got to work 80 hour weeks. I've got to work every weekend for the next two months because then, then we've got the, the, the signing and we can then calm down. And the fact that I knew I was going to be firing on all cylinders for that time meant that there was an end to it but the difficulty is that that when you're in a practice area or if you're in a, an organization where there's a constant deal flow you know if you're doing contract review um in house then it never ends yeah. so you can you can never see a point where it's going to be less or it's going to stop so say to yourself i will do this job for the next three months and i will see how well I can cope with it. I will have conversations with my managers to see what, um, uh, how, how I can adapt my working patterns and see what happens. And if it hasn't changed, then I'll make a decision one way or the other. Um, it could be, I want to get through this particular deal because I want this experience of my CV. Once this deal has closed, there might be another one coming up the line afterwards, but that is a marker in the sand for me to decide, is this the way I want my career to go? Do I want to continue with this job? And if I do, how, what do I want to be saying to my manager about getting different experience or working more flexibly or so that you're taking some control um, and then having a plan. So many lawyers come to me at sort of four, five, six years PQE. <coughs> Sometimes they come, you know, much later than that even. And they say, I've kind of sort of, sort of slept, walked my way through my career and, and I don't really know where I'm going and I don't have a plan. So have a plan. Um, and your your question was, you know, how do people how do people decide to move on because they have invested so much i hear people saying i don't want to appear as though i failed yeah you know and um, and i think that is the light blue touch paper watch everything explode option so before if you find yourself saying i can't cope with this i'm i've made the wrong choice of career then very definitely have a conversation with somebody who can help you to get that perspective and say is it really this career or is it simply that you're not in a, an environment where you can thrive, mm -hmm. where your core needs are not being met, where what's important to you isn't being honoured? And I mean, I, I was working with a, a very senior lawyer who was working really long hours, working weekends, um, seeing that others were being pushed for partnership and and she wasn't. Um, and actually th thought she was going to go in-house, but ended up going to a different law firm where she's still working really long hours. But but because she loves what she does, she's valued, she's appreciated. Um, it, it's not it's not an issue. She's not feeling stressed anymore because she belongs. She's feeling heard. She's contributing. All of those good things. She's growing. All of those good things that we talked about before. So please, 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 if you're at a, if you're at the point where you're thinking oh God, have I really committed, done all this studying and it's not what I thought it was going to be. It's like, yeah, 
this where you are right now is not what you thought but there's so many options out there for you before you can say for sure actually I don't want to be a lawyer anymore yeah yeah there's so many options now for lawyers I mean it's not just being an in-house lawyer or private practice lawyer you know lots take different paths and even yourself you did I think you were working in recruitment for a bit so yes um, so yeah there's so many more options but I think your point about making a plan um personally I used to make very long-term plans and Mm you then realize how things happen in life and that change ha- you have to then change your plan so uh making some more short-term plans now has sort of been working better for me and then in two three years time you say okay well that didn't quite work out the way I wanted but now I can do this and and that sort mm. of helped me kind of on my path but thank you so much for um speaking with me today that brings us to the end of this episode I will leave Paula's details in this episode's description and I will also include a link to her blog, Lawyers Career Fix, so you can reach out to her if you have any questions um, and also don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review.